What a good word. Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt this heart of stone. What a comforting truth for us this morning. I'm so thankful to God, not only that He has the power to melt our hearts of stone, but that He is the only power to melt our hearts of stone. This morning we'll be talking about hearts of stone. We'll be talking about angry hearts. I assume everyone in here has probably seen someone get angry. But have you ever seen someone get really angry? There's a level of angry that's just beyond even normal, if we can call it normal, anger. The kind of angry where someone just doesn't even know what they're doing anymore. What they're doing in a situation just does not fit that situation. Even if you know that person really well, you might think to yourself, what is he doing? Why is she doing that? Why is she reacting this way to this circumstance? Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you've thought it about yourself. Maybe there have been times when you've saw yourself You've either thought to yourself, either in that moment or later on when you've had a little bit of time to reflect, maybe you've gotten some distance from the event and you thought to yourself, why in the world did I respond the way that I did? If this is you, then the texts that we're going to look at this morning want to show you why you did the thing that you did. Because it's not immediately obvious. And if this is you, the text that we're going to be taking a look at this morning have a message of comfort for you from the Lord. It's a message of hope. The Bible has a lot to say about anger about what it is, about why we get angry, and about the way that the Lord eagerly desires to uproot from your heart anger. Because He does. The Lord wants to uproot from our hearts anger. So please join me in the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible provided for you under the seat in front of you. And you can find our passage in that Bible on page 1012. We're going to be looking at James 4. And this morning we're going to be reading from the first 10 verses of James 4. 
So let's read God's word together. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? But, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before You this morning, and we want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the hope that it offers us in Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning we want to take to heart Your exhortation to us in James 4 that we should submit ourselves to You. Please, Lord, take this time, take my words, take all of our thoughts, take Your Word and use them to cleanse us. Lord, we pray that You would cleanse our hands of the sinful actions of our anger, and we pray that You would purify our hearts of the root of that anger. Lord, we ask it so that Your church might be strengthened in the fight against sin, and so that You might receive all the glory that is due to Your great name. We ask this of you, Lord, 
in the name and through the powerful blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we'll be taking a look at the sin of anger and what Scripture has to say about it. As Pastor Samuel said, this is the first of two topical sermons on anger. Our focus this morning, in contrast to next week, will be on looking under the surface of common forms of anger. The kinds of anger that we're probably used to thinking about as anger. And we'll be getting to the root of what's going on in our hearts when we get angry. But I want to take a moment to say that I am really genuinely excited for the second half of this topical sermon series. Next week, Pastor Samuel will explore anger a little bit more deeply, some forms of anger that are a little more subtle that we might be able to dismiss as not really angry or that uh, isn't quite as obvious or maybe combative or aggressive but, frankly, is just as dangerous. So I'm really looking forward uh, to that sermon next week. If you're visiting us this morning for the first time, I want to encourage you make next week the second time of this two-part uh, series as we look at anger. But this morning, as we look at the nature of anger, I want us to keep our fingers in James 4. That's going to be the text that's going to anchor our look into the nature of sinful anger and the hidden causes of it. But we'll also be drawing from another, a, a, a group of other passages throughout Scripture that deepen a biblical perspective on anger. Both righteous anger on the one hand and sinful anger on the other. So as we go through this morning's sermon, we're going to have three major considerations of a biblical view on anger. Three main points that we're going to focus on this morning. The first main point that we'll be looking at this morning is how to spot sinful anger. How can we recognize it? How do we spot sinful anger? What it looks like and how it shows up in moments of anger. Our second main point this morning that we'll be looking at and focusing on is understanding the sinful roots of anger. What's under the surface? Where does anger come from? And why does it rise up and grow in our hearts? We'll be taking a look at the understanding the sinful roots of anger. And the third point that we're going to be looking at this morning and emphasizing, focusing on through Scripture, is how to uproot sinful anger. Because God does want to uproot sinful anger. So we'll take a look at how to uproot sinful anger. Those are our three points this morning. The first main point of this sermon is how to spot sinful anger. As we look at the full biblical picture of anger, there are several qualities and characteristics that consistently emerge about anger in a biblical view. And the first is this. I don't know how jarring this is going to be for some of you, but not all anger is sinful. 
earlier in my life, that would have been very jarring to me. Some anger is sinful, but some anger is righteous. And if you're wondering how I can make that assertion, we know that, this, that some anger is righteous, at the very least, because God himself gets angry. God is indignant toward sin. He is opposed to it. He is displeased. And it seems like in the Old Testament that God is indignant and angry somewhat regularly at the sinful practices of his people Israel. In Exodus 4, when Moses is standing before the burning bush and God is commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh to speak his words and to save his people from slavery in Egypt, Moses makes excuses before the Lord. He tells the Lord, I don't want to speak before Pharaoh. I don't speak well. And God gets angry at Moses. Moses, a very godly man, in Numbers 11, when the people of Israel are in the wilderness, they start to complain about the Lord and about all the things that they've been suffering living in the wilderness for 40 years, which, of course, is their own fault. But they complain to the Lord, and the Lord gets angry and punishes them for their complaining. I can't Think of how many times throughout the book of Judges the people of Israel turn away from the Lord, start worshiping other gods and rejecting the Lord. And the Lord gets angry with them and gives them over to their enemies, strikes them down in his anger. Even in the New Testament, Jesus himself gets angry. Mark 3 tells us that when Jesus is in the synagogue and he sees the hardness of heart of the Pharisees, he gets angry and grieved. His grief and anger are mixed together because of the sin that's in their hearts. So we know that God does not sin, God cannot sin, and God gets angry. So there is some righteous anger. Particularly, God's anger. But, Scripture is also fairly clear that human anger is not usually righteous. Human anger is not usually righteous. We could say that righteous human anger is rare. We read in James 1, chapters 9, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He doesn't cut off the possibility of anger, but he says be slow to anger 
And the reason he gives in verse 20 is a pretty definitive statement. He doesn't make any qualifications when he says in verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I was younger, I thought that was a universal statement. And there are still people who think that it is. I'm not convinced by Scripture anymore that it is a universal statement. But it's an overwhelming statement to say with no qualification, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God shows that righteous human anger is at best very rare. Proverbs also repeats this exhortation to be slow to anger four times in five chapters. And throughout the Old Testament, this phrase that God is slow to anger is repeated more than twice as many times as that. So as we think about righteous anger and sinful anger, we need to consider among ourselves, are we slow to anger? How quickly do you get angry? Does your anger flare up in a moment? If so, your anger is not like the Lord's. God is slow to anger and we ought to be slow to anger. Righteous human anger is the exception. It's not the rule. When we think about righteous human anger and sinful human anger, there are different characteristics that Scripture presents between these two options to distinguish them from one another. The first is that righteous anger gets upset at genuine, legitimate wrongs and sins. Legitimate, genuine sin is the object of righteous anger. In several passages in the Old Testament, over and over throughout his time with Israel, Moses gets angry at the people of Israel due to their sin. He does not get angry at them because his preferences have been thwarted or because they have inconvenienced him in some way. But rather, he gets angry when they have sinned against God. He never gets angry at God, nor does anyone else righteously get angry at God, but righteous anger is directed against sin. Second characteristic of righteous anger is that righteous anger in Scripture is not for deeds that are done against you. My righteous anger is never about deeds done against me. When we think about Jesus Christ Himself in the New Testament, quite a bit of attack and antagonism is made against Jesus Christ. 
And when Jesus Christ rebukes or gets angry, it is never for wrongs that are done to him. For wrongs done to him, he remains silent. And he lets God be the judge. But for sins done against God the Father, Christ rebukes and he gets angry. Likewise, Moses, multiple times, gets angry at the people of Israel for sins against God, but not for things done to himself. So the question is, if we were to look at your life and the balance of anger that you experience, do you more often get angry at things that are done against you? Or do you more often get angry for things that are done against others? Do you not so much mind when you receive the brunt of some unjust attack? Would you rather take that kind of attack than see others receive it? Unless we can say that about ourselves, we do not have righteous human anger. However, I don't want to paint the picture that it's always righteous to get angry on behalf of someone else, even if that someone else is God. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 11, Moses gets upset with the people of Israel because they've been sinning and complaining against God. But Moses, in his response to the people, dishonors God in his anger. And he is rebuked so severely that because of his unrighteous anger in defense of God the Father, he is banished from the promised land. Likewise, if you take a look at Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, I want to encourage you, if you want to read it later, it is a great chapter filled with a prophet, a prophet of God, commissioned by God against an unjust nation that was punishing God's people that was wickedly attacking them. Jonah chapter 4 is a chapter of Scripture filled with Jonah's unrighteous anger against God's enemies on behalf of God. And he gets rebuked pretty severely. So I don't mean to give the picture that just because you're trying to defend the Lord, you can do whatever you want, say it however you want. The point is, if you are primarily responding against things done to you in your anger, Scripture paints a picture that that is not righteous human anger. The third difference between righteous anger and sinful anger in Scripture is that righteous anger is self-controlled and proportional to the offense. In each of the Gospels, we see how Christ gets angry in a particular event. People are selling in the temple, and Christ gets upset. And he chases them out of the temple, 
because the temple grounds are supposed to be a place of prayer, not only for God's people, but even for the Gentiles. And God's son says, this is not what the temple is for. His anger is controlled and purpose-oriented and thoughtful. Righteous anger does not get out of control. In contrast, sinful anger does get out of control. It doesn't know the right boundaries, and it acts out of proportion. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A right view on anger includes the ability to rule your emotions rather than let your emotions rule you. So often, anger is an outburst. Anger is a flood that overwhelms, that overflows its banks and gets out of control. When you see people get seriously angry, they can start yelling at one another. Maybe they even start threatening one another, saying things like, don't you ever do that again, or you're going to regret it. Have you ever said that before? If you have little kids, you probably have. <laughs> Sometimes, and this is not a funny thing, in extreme anger, you see people get violent. Maybe pushing, shoving, maybe a slap, hitting. Sadly, physical abuse in others in anger isn't as uncommon as it should be, and that's even in the church. Maybe in some extreme cases, the angry person will start breaking things. Maybe a guy just punches a wall because he's upset. Or maybe you start throwing things or breaking things. You just want to let out how angry you are. You feel overwhelmed with your anger, and so you do something overwhelmed and overwhelming. And not in self-control. I do want to clarify that Scripture does speak about corrective discipline of children differently than it does violence. Self-controlled spanking is done in love to correct. Scripture even says it's done to bring life to one's children. Violence done in anger is not done to bring life to anyone. The fourth difference between righteous anger and sinful anger is that righteous anger wants to forgive 
and to seek reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter about love. And it speaks about the characteristics of love. And it says in verse 5, love is not irritable or resentful. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, you'll see next to the word resentful a little footnote to bring you down to the bottom, which says, love does not count up wrongdoing. Have you ever counted up wrongdoing? Have you ever kept a tally of what someone else has done wrong? Love does not do that. Do you hold on to anger and offenses? Or are you eager, like God, to forgive them and to let them go? Proverbs 15:18 says, "A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention." We need to ask ourselves, are we quieting contention? Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Right thinking does not get angry quickly, and it is actually praised when it's willing to put anger behind it. To forgive the offender, to seek reconciliation, restoration, and wholeness. And so we need to be asking ourselves, are these characteristics true of our anger? Are you characterized by anger at objectives wrongs and not things that you prefer? Are you angry not for deeds done against you, but deeds done against others? Are you angry in proportion and in self-control? Are you angry with a desire to not be angry anymore. To be reconciled. If those things do not describe us, then Scripture wants us to know your anger is unrighteous. It is sinful. But these characteristics of anger are all visible and external things that we can see and even obvious to those around us. When we come back to James chapter 4, James chapter 4 wants to take a little different look. Not at the obvious external characteristics of anger, but the hidden truths. The foundational nature of anger. The deeper causes and the hidden roots of why we get angry. James is not content to focus on dealing with the effects of anger in our lives. Rather, James wants to point us to what's really going on under the surface. So the second main point of our sermon this morning is an understanding of the roots of sinful anger. So let's go back and take a look at verse 1 of James chapter 4. James asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The first thing James wants to tell us about our anger is that one of its roots is desire. You want something. More to the point, you want something and you can't get it. When you get angry, you want something and you can't get it. When you're stuck in traffic, you get angry because you want to get home. So you're angry at that car in front of you. Maybe you yell in your car a little bit if nobody's there. When someone mistreats you, you get angry because you want to be treated with respect. So you get angry at that individual. Maybe you make an unkind comment. So if you want to understand the first root of sinful anger, you have to ask yourself, when I'm getting angry, what is it that I want? Is it just to get home a little quicker? To not be inconvenienced? Maybe you want your life to be a little easier than it seems to be. Or maybe money is tight, and you just want a little more cushion in your bank account. Or maybe you've already put up with four different fights between the kids, and it's only 11 a.m., and you just want 20 minutes of peace and quiet before you've got to get up again and start making lunch. During summers, I'm home with my kids uh, because I'm a high school teacher, and um, it has been a valuable opportunity for me to understand what my wife goes through 10 months out of the year. Sometimes we just desire things and can't get them, so we get angry. So when you get angry, ask the Lord to show you what you're desiring that is making you angry. But did you notice what James said in verse 2? He said, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Isn't that taking things a little too far? Do we really think that James' audience was murdering because they desired things? Do you murder people when they get in your way? Scripture says that you do. Last week in the Sermon on Lust, Pastor Samuel recalled Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. That whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And just before that, Jesus made a similar statement about anger. In that very passage, in Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, Jesus said, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The person who gets angry in his heart at his brother will receive the very same punishment as someone who has committed murder. 
What this means for us is that even though you may have held back your hands from striking out in anger, Christ says your heart was already striking down that other person, even if it was only in your mind. If you had a contemptuous word that you wished you could say, but you kept your mouth from saying it, the Lord wants you to know that he hears those words in your heart. And you're not guiltless for them. The implication for us is obvious. It's not just enough to bite our tongue, to develop anger, control, strategies. If your heart is still nursing anger inside of you, God wants you to dig to the root and take it out. So James wants us to be clear that one of the roots of sinful anger is unmet desires in our hearts. But he goes deeper in the second half of verse 2 and verse 3. Read with me. Why do we have these unmet desires in the first place? James wants us to know. He continues in the second half of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he adds in verse 3. You ask, you do ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why do we have unmet desires? There's two reasons right in those verses. The first is that we don't ask God for them. So often we try to meet our needs and fulfill our desires by striving for what we want in our own strength, in our own time, in our own ways. By doing so, we proclaim with our actions, even if we don't do so with our words, I can do this on my own. I don't need God's help. And such an attitude is a clear demonstration of what's in our heart, and that's pride, self-exaltation. James' second reason why we have unmet desires it's because when we do ask God for them, we're not asking for the right reason. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Our priority is not doing God's will or the building up of God's kingdom or the honoring of God's name. James says our priority is our own passions, fulfilling our own desires. So, when you get angry... Because your friends don't want to do the same thing you want to do. Or when you get upset because plans don't go the way you really thought they were going to and thought you had done a good job making sure they would. James 4 points to the truth that your anger is caused by the fact that you've taken your desires and elevated them above your submission to God's sovereign and perfect plan. In the next verse, verse 4, James calls that spiritual adultery. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When our desires are most important to us, <coughs> we've given up our allegiance to God. And that's spiritual adultery. 
verse 5 reminds us that God is jealous for our affections and our allegiance. God is so desirous of you that he is jealous for your affections and for your allegiance. That's powerful. And yet, verse 6 holds out hope for spiritual adulterers. Although the roots of sinful desires and sinful pride run deep, God offers a way to uproot our anger, to uproot the pride and selfishness that exalts our own way. And that brings us to our third main point, how to uproot sinful anger. God wants us to know how to uproot sinful anger. Our hope is found in the transition of verse 6. Look at it there. It tells us God gives more grace. That's where our hope is. God gives more grace. If you struggle with sinful anger, it doesn't matter how much anger you have in your heart, God gives more grace. It doesn't matter how many bad habits you've developed over the course of 60 years, God has more grace. God will give you the grace to fight because He's jealous for you. Verse 7 continues on. In that grace, what do we do? Verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves to God. Give up the sinful desires that made you angry. Give up the sinful pride that raises you up in judgment over others and over the Lord's will. Give them up. Going back to verses 2 and 3, God told us what He wants us to do. He wants you to ask. And not ask for yourself so that you can look good in front of other people or so you can get this thing that you wanted. God wants you to ask for healing in humble submission to Him. And this is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. God created all things with a perfect plan and a perfect purpose because His sovereign will was perfect. But mankind said, that's not what I want. I'd actually rather have this. I'd rather have autonomy. I'd rather raise myself up. No thanks. And by that very attempt to raise ourselves up from God's perfect plan, instead we fell into sin and brokenness and separation from God. But the good news of the Gospel is that through Jesus Christ's submission to God the Father on our behalf, even to the point of death and punishment, He paid the penalty for our sin. And now, He calls us to do what He did. To submit to God's will. To repent of our anger. To repent of our sin and submit to God's good kingship. This is the point of James 4. 
As long as you hold on to your own sinful desires and your pride, you will experience the brokenness of sin. You will experience anger that has control over you. But God gives more grace. God gives more grace. He calls us now to spiritual obedience and faithfulness, submitting ourselves to Him, which is how He intended for us to be. So how do we respond to James 4? We start by looking to God for grace. It's not our own doing. It's from Him. The previous chapter, James 3, verses 15 and 16, talk about earthly wisdom, the way that we think of things by nature, and it says that that kind of wisdom is demonic and is the source of every evil practice. But, the next verse, James 3.17 says, The wisdom and righteousness of God comes from above. You can't get it. You're given it. It's not our own doing or effort. That would be a prideful solution to a problem of pride. In turning to God, God calls us to act in His strength, in His power, to follow His will. So what do we do? After looking to God for grace, as a part of looking to God for grace, we take a look at what is in our hearts. What sinful, wrong, or inordinate desires do we have? And God calls us, forsake them. Look for prideful attitudes where you want to raise yourself up. Why are you getting angry? Because you think you don't deserve that kind of treatment. You have raised yourself up. And God wants to say, actually, you did deserve that treatment. But that's beside the point. Christ paid for it. Put aside pride. James doesn't paint a picture of an easy struggle over sin. The struggle against anger is like the struggle of any other kind of sin. It tends to go on for the rest of your life. Do not fall for quick win strategies. Yelling in your car or punching a pillow is not going to make things better. Uncontrolled venting to a friend. This is not the way that God calls us to gain victory. I heard some people talk about counting to 100 because by the time you're done with 100, you've kind of forgotten why you're upset. Or Think happy thoughts. Those are avoidance strategies. Those are ways to take the roots of sinful anger and just kind of push them a little lower, try to pile a little more dirt on them. That's not what God wants for us. He wants to take our sinful anger, our sinful desires, and our sinful pride and pull them up by the roots. God wants you to know you can find victory in Jesus Christ over your anger or any other sin. And it's important also to know that you're not alone. Not only is God with you because God yearns eagerly and jealously for you, but God has given us the church. 
to support and strengthen each one of us as we pursue righteousness through Christ, as we fight the fight against sin. So in conclusion, James 4 wants you to know how to see sinful anger in comparison to righteous anger. To know the roots of anger, why we're getting angry, that is founded on the sinful desires and sinful pride of our heart. And to know how to take it and uproot it, not in our own strength, but in God's strength, by turning to God for grace and submitting our hearts, our desires, our affections, and our pride to Him. In the knowledge of His promise that if we mourn for our sin, if we turn, if we reject our pride, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, then He gladly, eagerly, lovingly will lift us up and restore us to Himself. That's the gospel. If you want to talk more about it, any member of this church would love to talk to you. Please talk to me or to Pastor Samuel or Taylor or Taylor. God yearns eagerly for you. He desires to lift you up as you submit to him. I pray that he would continue this process in all of us who call on him and begin it in those who have not yet turned to him, and that he would do it for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's pray.